Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. It is a great joy to get to introduce this iconic mother-daughter duo for today's episode of the Goop Podcast. Laura Dern and her mother, Diane Ladd, are two of the greatest living actors, I recently read their incredible new memoir, Honey, Baby, Mine. Even though Laura and I are very dear friends, I felt like I got to know her and her mother on a much deeper level after reading this book. Honey, Baby, Mine documents a series of honest, vulnerable conversations Laura and Diane had together after Diane was given a sudden, life-threatening medical diagnosis. After being told Diane had six months to live, they started going on walks together. Through these walks, they helped each other heal in different ways. It is remarkable, and I can't recommend the audio version of this book enough. Today, I sat down with the two of them to talk about why we tend to wear masks with the people closest to us, how we heal from divorce and family ruptures, how we find a way to speak our truth even when it's incredibly hard, and how to listen more closely with our hearts. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Laura Dern and the Diane Ladd. How are you feeling good? My New York Times bestselling Diane Ladd. (laughs) You are so good, Cleo. And you're an inspiration. You know, I think if I ever decide to be Catherine Coleman, I'm going to ask you to be my partner in crime. (laughs) Okay, first of all, Diane Ladd needs an advice column. And who's going to give it to her? 
It should be like an old school radio call-in where people leave a message on a machine with their life question and you answer them with your experience and your spirituality and your wisdom. I love that. <laughs> Something that really came to me and, and, and we're talking a few weeks after the book has been released and put into the world. And something I think that is really incredible about books, especially when they're so well-written and expressed, is that they truly are extensions of the writers in a way that people feel that they really intimately know the, the writer and the creator of the book. And something I noticed by doing your book talk in LA a couple of days ago, because it was a week and a half or so since the book had been out, the mothers and daughters who were already resonating with this idea of a mother and a daughter having a radically honest conversation on a series of walks, telling each other everything with very high stakes at the time. Did you expect that you would have this kind of movement around, you know, mothers and daughters and them being able to come together. The origin story is, you know, Cleo, is that this was not intended to be a book that mom was given a diagnosis after severe medical challenges, particularly with her lungs and in the hospital with double pneumonia. And we had not known why mom was getting sicker and sicker and her body was being impacted in myriad ways until mom's amazing King Charles Cavalier dog, Ginger, who was our co-star in the HBO show Enlightened and mom felt very close to as a fellow actress and now her, her beloved bestie pet. And mom one night had let Ginger out in the yard and what we thought was dew on the grass was in fact petrochemicals, pesticide sprays, they had been spraying in and around my mom's house, neighboring farms without notification, which is what is legally supposed to happen. And mom had been spending three and a half years in this home being sprayed on a regular basis with glyphosates, Danitol. Many people have heard of Roundup, you know, similar pesticides as this and multiple. And when the dog came in, she proceeded to have three seizures and die in mom's arms, which was a great tragedy, needless to say, but also the gift in it was we discovered that the pesticides were in Ginger's bloodstream and that's what had happened to her. And then we discovered the same with mom. So we knew what was happening. And the doctor took me aside and said, your severe scarring in her lungs. We're diagnosing her, but it's from pesticide exposure and there's not really anything we can do. Treat your mother gently. She won't be here in three to six months. And when I pushed to find out if there was any hope, he said, maybe if you get her walking to expand her lung capacity, it might help a bit. So that brought us to me taking mom or forcing her because as mom has shared what don't you like mom oh, i don't know she hates you don't walking. like to walk <laughs> you I hate, hate walking <laughs> i hate walking because they made me do it one time when i was like eight 
from a Catholic school in Mobile, Alabama. Suddenly one day we found out after we got there early in the morning that we weren't going to have school that day because there was a leaking pipe or something. So the older kids made me walk 10 miles home and I've never wanted to go take a long walk ever since. So, <laughs> Until now. And now, now it's a book. <laughs> the walk and now saved my life. So whatever you don't want to do might might turn out to be your best friend. <laughs> and that and that's what we did. You know, we proceeded to literally one step at a time. Mom being on oxygen at the beginning of the walks, we started walking and because she loves story and storytelling and is such an incredible actor that you know, I hope to distract her really by starting these walks and talks every day. Did you just kind of have a premonition of like I'm going to record this because I have more and more friends who have been doing this lately, wanting this kind of personal, you know, with the idea that our phones are these instant tape recorders now. So it's not really a cumbersome experience. They've started recording, you know, conversations with their grandmothers and conversations with their parents, asking specific stories from their childhoods and lives to have a record or account, you know, because forever. It, it discloses you know, human beings are terrible witnesses. We think that we know and we think we remember, but our own subconscious and our own wishful thinking changes things. So when you record something, you say, I didn't say that. Well, and that's why, you know, I think we became very transparent with that kind of diagnosis. And mom was aware of, you know, her fragility. And so we thought, my God, if we have a few months together, Mm -hmm. you know, how many incredible stories about mom's life that bring me so much joy and so many stories I never knew because I hadn't asked the questions I wanted to archive for myself and mom knew we wanted to archive them for my children, for her grandchildren. We thought I was dying. So we said, okay, we, these talks, some of them are disclosing things that we have not disclosed. Our truth is your truth. There's my truth, and then somewhere is the truth. So we are doing all this for understanding, and why waste it? Since I'm going, you can't ask me later, what did I say? So you might as well record it now, and and you have it. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. I'm really struck by how, you know, as someone who knows you both well, I know how often you speak and, and how close you are. And anyone who knows you, I think, Laura, one of the things they would say about you is, oh, she's very close to her mother. And so I would say that's probably like top three. I'd say Laura is very close with her children. Laura is very close with her mother and Laura is very fun. And Laura, <laughs> and, 
laws very close to her friends. She yes. treasures them like sisters. And <laughs> and it's interesting this idea that you're so close with somebody and there's still so much you don't know because you haven't set intentions to the conversations necessarily to yeah. know certain parts of their lives. So it, while you'll have this very intentional, loving, respectful way of being in community with each other, you know, you never, I guess, approached your mom in a way that said like, my intention is to like, be almost like your beloved biographer to know you so well that I can know myself better and my children better and in my whole context for aliveness better almost. Well, and talking about Mother's Day, you know, men, fathers and sons, we've been getting some phone calls from men mm. who said their relationship with their mother or even their father. A guy the other night was saying, you know, my father died this year, but I had an opportunity to talk to him. But if I had read your book before he died, I would have been inspired to have deeper talks, which I now regret that I didn't. Mm. So if a book is doing anything, thank God it's inspiring people to talk to each other, talk, really talk and really listen to each other. Yeah. And as I say, not with just your ear, but the ear of your heart. And that's a gift. I love that you said that, mom, you know, to your point, Cleo, they, the longing in sharing our experience is because it was so profoundly healing emotionally and big news flash physically. Mom got better. Mom got stronger with every it conversation. No, it was not an easy trip. No we had arguments. Or she had to entice me to walk, which I didn't like. Come on, mom, just a little bench over there. And, and that's Not actually in, in the book. I'm usually a very like buy the book, hold the book in your hands to explore it. And I really think everyone should do that too, because it does feel like a quilt or a tapestry of a family history that is not only inspiring to hold and, and witness, but I think it will inspire a movement of people making photo albums and things again, because everything's become so digitized that we think like, oh, I just have all these photos in my hand. But, you know, you used to scrapbook everything and you'd have a scrapbook of every baby shower and every big moment. And you'd, and you'd have these books and books and books of these tapestries that look like this book, because in the, the physical copy, the book is filled with photos and it's filled with like these beautiful pull quotes and a poem that Diane wrote, the, the her first poem she ever wrote. And on page 17, am I right, Diane? <laughs> and the, Finally published. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful it's, it took. <laughs> it's stunning. But the the audio of this book is one of the best audios I have ever listened to in my life because you feel that you are brought back to the walk because you you have two of the greatest actresses of our time. You feel how 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 sick Diane felt at the time. You feel Laura's tension trying to get her to just get to the next bench and you feel Diane being pissed. It's amazing. Well, see, here's the thing. When you say we, these are two of our greatest actresses, what does that mean? It's like if you said these are two of our greatest doctors, they'd say, okay, that means they're saving lives maybe. These are two of our greatest lawyers. Okay, that means they're defending people. But people don't really understand what actresses do or what it means. Yeah, what actresses, do you do? What does do and mean? There's different kinds of medicine and there's different kinds of acting. For Laura and I, 
We are reality actors. We put ourselves in front of that camera as you, and we relive those things that are parallel to the character in some way. We relive it. We become it instantly. We're trained to do what we call sense memories, emotional memories. It means you relive that emotion and it's alive and it's happening before your eyes. And when we're crying, we're not making believe. We're crying about something that happened in our own life or something that we saw that broke our heart. And those are real tears. And we're paying an emotional price for it as we are doing it because our job is to hold up a reflection of you, saint or sinner, and the times that we're living in. We're just teachers and reflectors of humanity. Mm. So when we got into the audio, I think our own training brought us back into the present as if it was happening right then and there, each second, you know, before our eyes. And you, listening to it, you felt that. You felt the truth of it, Cleo. So when you're saying it transported me back into time, yeah, it was. We, we transported ourselves into reliving those times. So it was happening in the audio as you're hearing it in our energy field. It is happening just like it happened then. I love the the principle, the idea of right the artist as the wounded healer. The idea that in in writing, in acting, in filmmaking, in music, you know, the expression is coming from truth. It's our truth that we're sharing that we hope can connect, relate, or even transform someone else's experience. But the beauty of this shared experience with mom. Part of that is reflecting on all we've been through Mm -hmm. and hopefully transforming it. And so mom and I, you know, archived these moments, but what transformed was instead of staying stuck in this idea of, I don't want to bring up hard things, especially when it's a delicate time. So I just won't talk about it. I pushed human beings. Yeah. And so I pushed through and said, you know what? Maybe this is a time that talking about the hardest things as close as mom and I are, or the simplest, seemingly mundane questions, that maybe it will transform something, our experience, our, our memory of it. And so we, on these walks, we went to deepest of heartbreaks. We talked about divorce. We talked about being a working mother. We also, I realized I'd never asked my mom, what's your favorite color? Or what was the first movie that you saw that made you want to be an actor in this tiny town in Mississippi? And what's amazing, even with the audiobook, is there's nothing performative in any of this journey, of course, because it's our real life, but also for all of us. When we talk about an experience with our own child, our best friend, an ex-husband, our mother, the more we talk, the more we transform how we are stuck in it. We have the ability to heal from perspective. And so I heard mom's perspective and she heard that 11-year-old or 8-year-old child's perspective 
But the healing is in going, oh my God, that's what 35-year-old Diane was feeling when me, the little girl, felt lonely and she was desperate and divorced and had to go leave her kid to go do a job for a tiny bit of money to pay for her apartment she was renting. You know what I mean? And And we do mean tiny. (laughs) And we do mean tiny. We shared a bedroom. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they have no no idea what they pay women in those days. Good Lord Almighty, yeah. it was teeny tiny. And they yeah. think I'm kidding, I'm not. You I know when I tell my kids, kids, you and I shared a bedroom um, in our apartment when I was a kid, they're like, wait, what? A minute ago, you and Cleo, and I was listening and you made a remark. You said the wounded healer. And I thought to myself instantly, Lord God, that's what I am at this age. I am a wounded healer. And I started to laugh, but at least you can share it and bring in the light if you are willing to do that. And so any perspective gives you not only the past and the richness of finally understanding what was happening, but it opens a door to see a big picture that you haven't seen before. And to understand it brings in a little bit of wisdom. I always say knowledge. Knowledge changes every day, but wisdom is forever. And so when you look back and hear yourself talking, Cleo, on that audio, you go, oh, look at what I said. Oh, look at what she said. Oh, it wasn't the way I thought at all. And then you go, oh, my, look at, listen to me. Oh, my, you see your ego. You see your fear. You step back and you see yourself like you're watching a little child do hopscotch. Someone said to me the other day, oh my God, it's so beautiful how you and your mom have this perfect relationship and you've, you've forgiven everything. And I thought to myself, mom was so delicate at the time. We talked about one big fight we had and you can hear our upset and our disagreement and that hasn't changed. But then when we do did the audio and mom was a little stronger and a little healthier, I got in my car. I was so pissed off. I was like, <laughs> she still doesn't see my point of view. And I am so right about that. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I transported my, I think I reflected myself back at me and I transported <laughs> to the moment. Now I'm really upset. <laughs> but that's what we hope too, you know, that it, that it's messy and complicated. We're not here to All necessarily agree, but just All to be heard and have said way. it in life. Yeah. yeah. You know, the conversations yeah. help you reflect. You know, that's what you go to therapy for. You sit down and somebody listens to you or you meet a stranger on a plane. You tell them everything because you think you're never going to see them again. So and, it's and like I, yeah. people have said to me over the years, you know, I guess it is good to resolve, like, you know, we've all been through breakups and there are the things that are said in the breakups and you hope for resolution. But then years later to have that conversation again, I'm like, I'm glad some people have had breakups where they ever heard from the person again. Right. Most people now are either they just suddenly are ghosted or they're broken up with on text. Yeah. So we're sitting with so much unfinished business in our lifetime. Well, and things we used to feel belonged in community to heal. We think belong in isolation to heal. Like they should just deal with it. But a lot of that I think is people's cowardice around honesty. Yes, And I don't even mean cowardice in a negative way. I mean, we all have our fears and we all struggle to be brave, 
you know, you both of you are two of the most spiritually practiced people I know. Do you feel that it's your spiritual practice that that kind of gives way for you to be this honest about yourselves in this book? And there's even a chapter about divorce that is specifically very, I think, intense and and really, really honest and emotional. Is it a spiritual practice that allows the bravery to be that way? Is it because you can't be a good actor if you're not honest? Because I think it's such a big part of accessing the emotions and being able to connect. First of all, it's very profound of you to ask the question that you just did in the manner. Because when I read your writings, your poetry, and your writing, I perceive great wisdom coming from you. And that's the thing I appreciate most in your gift that you share with humanity. When it comes to ourselves, I think that, yes, my answer would be absolutely that the spiritual part of me is my driving force has been from the minute I entered the stage of Earth. Earth is a stage and we're all doing a play. Shakespeare said it. And so we're all of us actors to some extent, but the actor is just the physical vehicle that you're in. Your body is like a car. Your soul steps into it. You today, you're going to go out to the store. You, Cleo, are going to go get in your car that was made and polished and fixed and needs gas and oil and brake fluid and all kinds of things to keep it going. And then, but you, it isn't going to go anywhere. As of yet, of course, they got new technology coming in. But right now, it's not going to go anywhere unless Cleo gets in that car, turns that key, presses that button to start it, and vroom, takes off. <laughs> so <clears throat> your body is your car, even in a dream. It is your car. And so you, Cleo, your soul, so may call it the spirit, call it what you want. Get in the life force, gets in that car to, to go and do what you got to do. So when you step onto the stage of earth, you got a cause called your body and your soul or spirit steps into it for while you're here, one hour or 120 years, and you're going to step in there and go do what you got to do. So I don't think Laura and I, the image of trying to be something that we're not is not something we perceive. Yeah, we'll put on a pretty dress and some lipstick to take a picture. But other than that, our whole drive, our MO, modus operandi, is to do what we have to do at that moment in time and align our, align our energy with that. You know, we align ourselves with people who are similar. But the truth of our life, of the spirituality that you're talking about, is finding the truth of who we are as people and what we're trying to say of, of the answers we're trying to find in life and to be good people. When we were writing the book, we weren't writing a book. We had no intention of writing a book. We were trying to reach each other because I could be dead in 24 hours or 30 minutes. I didn't know. So why would I waste time playing any kind of game whatsoever? But I kind of good actresses, you have to listen in order to be a good actor. That's what you have to do is to listen. But I didn't know how long, none of us, the, the irony is that none of us, some of us get hit by a bus in life. We don't know how long we have to be on the planet. 
So we have to reach out for the truth and joy and beauty each moment while we live here. Whatever your work is, it's part of it. So yes, the answer to your question is indubitably, yes, the spirituality is in everything I do, I hope. But you know, that was so beautifully put, Mom. And I I only want to add that I had this weird, raw feeling when I got home the other night from our public conversation. And I think it was because I've spent all these years and watching my parents spend years being private people in a public environment, in a public profession. I'm, I've never been interested in sharing my private experience. And so it is so important to us to express the why in sharing this book. And the expression of the why is we can talk about honesty and we can talk about spirituality, but we hadn't been honest with the closest person in our life. We hadn't shared so many stories. I had been going through a painful divorce and there was my mother who'd been through a painful divorce sitting right next to me. And I didn't tell her the truth of how much pain I was in because I thought I'll just keep going and pretend that I've got this together. And then hopefully my kids will feel like I have it together. And my mom will hopefully feel like I have it together. What? Why wouldn't I turn to the person closest to me and say, this hurts? How did you do it? So we wanted to share it because we thought none of us can wait for an emergency to be honest because we have areas of honesty in our life. And then we have the blind spots and there's so much fear around being honest with people closest to us, which is crazy if you think about it. And yet so many of us are in that pattern. Diane, you say this really incredible thing about how, you know, everyone is just wanting to be loved and hoping that if they package themselves just right, even with the people who are there to unconditionally love them, meaning that there there needs to be no conditions. You don't have to be in a specific condition to be loved and accepted and okay where you are, but we still do it. It's the vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. We are all as human beings so vulnerable. And our environmental conditioning as we go through childhood affects that with the colors. What I say is that parents, they don't tell their children the truth because they want to be respected, loved, and they lie to their kids for ethics, they think. And then the children, they want to be loved and respected by the parents. So then they lie thinking to keep the peace. So we lie for a reason that we give ourselves of achieving peace and harmony, but it's fake because as Laura just said, we're not reaching out with the truth. We're waiting for an emergency. We think we're protecting each other when really our ego is protecting ourselves, even the parents. And, And so what happened to Laura and I is that because we thought I was dying any minute. And I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I wish I'd have asked my mother that before she died, or my father, or my sister, my brother, my friend. Always wish, 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 instead of having it so. And so what Laura and I did was, as I say, spill the beans. 
So we spilled the beans and we did it by throwing caution to the wind. And out of it came the the gold at the end of the rainbow. We found that little pot. We found the little pot. It's called love. And behind love is some kind of truth. Because when you find the truth, then you really know who you are. And if you do it with one person, it can't be undone. So the minute mom and I did that, I remember Jaya, my daughter, going through a difficult moment and needing me to hear that she was struggling and in pain about something. And I went to do something as a parent with all my reading of progressive parenting books and all the things you do and don't do now. And we've learned we're such an evolved generation. There's still this innate thing when you feel your child in pain, as you were probably parented, you go, the first instinct is you're fine. Oh, you're okay. Yeah. Get right up. See, you didn't hurt yourself. Uh, And the kid's like, I just hurt myself. Why are you telling me I'm fine? That isn't honest. And so Jaya was in pain and I started to do what I'd probably done for years. And I went, oh, babe, you're just, you're just sad and you're going to be fine. You know, give you, take a bath. You're going to be okay. Like it's going to be fine instead of just sitting with it. Maybe it's not fine. Maybe she's in a major crisis. And my job was not to fix that crisis. It was to honestly listen. And what mom taught me in these walks was it's not just honestly sharing. It's honestly asking and honestly listening, not listening with the fix, with the results, but honestly listening and holding space for another person, which you know, you teach me that Cleo and our friendship. So then I can do that with my mother, with my friends. So we are all, we are this global community and how we honestly live and share together and hopefully lift ourselves up to grow and be better each day with each other. I feel in family dynamics, what ends up happening is each person has a role and that is often what blocks the vulnerable conversations, right? Like The role, your role in the family might be, well, I'm the one who always has it together so that other people have the space to fall apart, or I'm the one who can't make the mess because I'm the one who cleans up the mess, or, you know, I'm the one who says I'm always okay. And, and these things just develop over time. And, and, and I wonder, do you feel that maybe the roles we, that maybe you you each take, take on in your family is both of you having been single working moms, do you think that's what kind of stopped you from connecting on the divorce part? And and I would love to get some insight on how you both moved through divorce and tough divorces. Do you have advice into it for anyone going through a divorce, how to lean on people, how to dissolve the role so that you can be a person and a spirit and a soul going through this human experience? When it comes to ending something like a marriage, It's very painful. It's a little death. You have codependency patterns that you rely on with each other. And that's the trick. Unfortunately, you can stay in relationships sometime that are no longer healthy for you because 
you're in a codependency pattern. And that pattern in and of itself is a safety niche. You feel like you're drowning at times and they throw the life raft to you. Unfortunately, if it is codependency, the life raft has holes in it. And it's not going to keep you up there above the top of the water. Mm. You're going to go be going blug, 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 going down. And that's what's happening when you get close to divorce. There's many ifs and shoulds and coulds and woulds going on in a circle, a swirling circle that's pulling you down. And when you start to get divorced, all of this comes into play, all of it. And it's a very, it's a very shattering time. Let me just use an extreme example. When somebody you love dies, they leave this dimension that they're in. The cord is broken. And when the cord gets broken, there's a shattering of your feelings, of your cord that's attached to them for vulnerable feelings that shatters you. That's so painful, so hard to deal with, no matter what the case, that shattering takes place. Mm. And the parallel is a divorce. When you break a pattern that you have attachment, it is some kind of cord. And when you make that decision to separate or to divorce, there's a shattering, a, a newness that you're reaching for that you have to go through. What do you have to go through between here where you are and there where you want to be? No. You can get some help today. You can get therapy. You talk to your friends. Please reach out for help. Whatever you do, you have to reach out for help because nobody said it's going to be easy ever. And divorce is one of those things that's not going to be easy. I just would add two thoughts. One is, you know, thank God now we're a generation that are supported in therapy, in reflection with guides who, who, you know, have wisdom in the area of helping a couple see themselves in each other, which I, I would not recommend more highly because the hardest thing in an intimate relationship is you won't know without real reflection whether someone is projecting their own issues onto you or if they're seeing a blind spot in you that you're not willing to look at in yourself. Mm. And one of the great heartbreaks for, I think, so many couples is a decade goes by And especially if there are children, uh, an ex-couple can look back and think, God, if I listened to them, why was I so scared to see that I was doing that thing? And I refused to accept that that was a part of me. Or, I mean, especially, you know, if there's addiction in a family or challenges where you're wanting to support someone and seeing something they really need outside help with. And they really don't want to see it, by the way, because then they are projecting on you, but they're telling you it's your blind spot. Exactly. You know, which is a very like hot button word right now of like gaslighting, but that that happens in relationships a lot where you have such a refusal to acknowledge, live in, grow from, out of, away from your blind spot that you project onto somebody else. Their problem is that they're accurately reflecting you and that there is actually something wrong with them for, for doing that. And so it becomes such a mess of, as mom said, a codependent dynamic that to have support 
program support, a therapist, couples therapist, to really make the commitment to look at what's really happening so that you give it every chance, you know, divorce, there is something healing in divorce when a couple has tried everything and can lovingly or respectfully choose to part. And you're able to look in your kid's eyes and go, we tried everything. We're not meant to be together, but to live with the wrestle of, you know, the, I don't knows, or maybe I should have, I feel like that's more painful than the divorce itself. And the only other thing I say as someone who played a divorce lawyer in a movie is, you know, if you can avoid lawyers, there are a lot of ways to get a divorce now. You will, you will save your children's college education by having a mediator or an accountant or a friend or a therapist. There are a lot of ways to do it. You can do it online now. Even some great divorce lawyers who have online advice of how to do it because they too know that people literally lose their homes and their savings to get a divorce. It's insane. Crazy. Do you think a lot of how it's easier to part is also releasing the roles? Because I find that in a lot of romantic relationships, we have this ego. Sometimes I call it, I guess, guess the spiritual ego who says, well, I need to be the one who sits on the hill with the answers or because I'm so well practiced or I'm the person who saves. So I can only be the person who needs saving. And people, I think, often think of divorce as a disconnection, but it actually needs, it requires a ton of connection in order for transformation. And so this idea that we can deeply connect, kind of how you and your mother did by shedding your roles, shedding your narratives of self and each other and everything to just ask intentional, honest questions, listen, receive, that created this alchemy of a book and getting to that incredibly and sometimes painful point of honesty where you're, you're also honest about yourself and have stripped your roles. You can say, okay, now soul to soul, we can end this soul contract. Yes. You know what I mean? Rather than my ego and my personhood and your, your ego and your person and all, all of our stuff now walks away. And then we still have that stuff, by the way, because as long as we're holding on to these masks and personalities, as we part, we're always connected and we can't do as Diane said, and allow the cord to like, you know, break apart, change into something else. So beautifully said. And I'm so grateful you brought up roles and role playing because it is in every relationship that we face this. Mm -hmm. And the truth is we're addicted to the roles we play too. And we hold on to them. I actually feel that that's how you can tell whether fear is motivating you or faith in a way, because fear will always tell you to grab the role, the mask, the thing where you don't have to be yourself kind of vulnerable and like, like soulfully naked in the world. But faith will always say, somebody will come along and accept me as I am. So I can go out here without a role or a mask. I remember I was like 24 or something. And one of my dearest friends since elementary school was like, God, Laura, it's so crazy. I love your style. We were out to dinner and I was like, oh, thanks. You know, I was dating some cool new guy. And she was like, it's so interesting how like 
every year or so, you're just like a completely new person with a new style with every boyfriend. And it was such a gift that that friend was brave enough to let me know that I transform myself based on what they tell me they want in a woman. My furniture changes, what I think is funny, what kind of movies I talk about, the music I'm listening to. And not that, as mom said, you know, they weren't aspects of self that were fun to explore. And in your, you know, from 18 to 30, I mean, part of that was like trying to figure out which thing fit and which was the most me. But I was also ready to sign up for the role. And by the way, the world will tell you that's how you get and keep up a partner. Yeah, for sure. I remember very early on, one of my first boyfriends, we went out to dinner and oh my God, he complimented me. I was amazing, guys. I was (laughs) the most amazing person. And he was talking about his ex-girlfriend who literally, by the way, a very famous ex-girlfriend who is gorgeous and kind of wild and radical from my perception. And he was like, oh my God, she was such a nag. She became my mother. And I thought, wow, that doesn't make sense. And he said, what's great about you is you have none of that energy. You're so carefree. You're wild. You're cool. Red red flag, red red flag, flag. red flag. The second someone's comparing you (laughs) to another person, like like complete manipulation. Done. By the way, I think everyone knows where this story goes. (laughs) A year later, he broke up with me because I was so naggy and like his mother. Something wonderful to this. You see, life is so amazing and we forget what amazing creatures God made. I was laughing before when you said before, Laura, today we have therapists and all the kinds of people to help us. And I thought to myself, and all I had was God. <laughs> not so bad, not so bad as long as you reach out. I just wanted to ask one simple question before we leave, which is tell me about the title Honey Baby Mine. Why did y'all call this book Honey Baby Mine? Well, my daughter, I asked her what we should call it because she's the best. Personally, she's such a great mother to her kids and my grandkids. Laura's one of the best mothers I know. She cares about that that job, that title and fulfillment of it. So I said to her, what do you think we should call the book? I wanted to call it Walk and Talk, but she said, let me think about it. So Laura, I'll let you tell them the secret, how we found it. The secret was no secret at all. It was being smart enough to call the person I couldn't respect more as a writer and one of my best friends and an amazing uncle to Ellery and Jaya, the amazing Eddie Vetter, and he and his wife, Jill, they're such incredible friends to me, but had been such loving partners in taking care of my mom when this crisis happened. And Jill was helping me decorate this little apartment we were bringing her to. And I said to Ed, I don't know what we call this. And I loved that he went straight to the song and said, well, what was a song that your mom would sing to you as a child? And I remembered that the song she sang to me 
one which of was, them, which was one of them, which was also sung to me by my papa, my mom's mm. father. He sang to her, which is the crawdad song and was very important to mom. And you, did you know it growing up? I mean, it's such a I never common really, song. I never it really was, knew it, oddly. It was recorded yeah. by Woody Guthrie. It's who an I old love. English folk song. And the people who built the dams along Mississippi or Alabama, or Louisiana, Georgia, all of them would sing the song. And I know you've heard it as a child. Most people have heard it. That's that's the thing about using it as a title because it's called Honey, Baby, Mine. And here's how it goes. You get a line and I'll get a pole, honey. You get a line and I'll get a pole, babe. You get a line and I'll get a pole and we'll go down to the crawdad hole, honey, baby, mine. Honey, baby, mine. Thank you for joining me in my conversation with Diane Ladd and Laura Dern. I hope you'll pick up a copy of Honey Baby Mine or give it a listen wherever you get your audiobooks. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Goop Podcast.